Many murderers are meticulous in the planning of their crime, from the age and the race of the victim to the location of the event. Disposal of the body seems to be the one thing many of them do not consider. The sudden realisation that they have failed to plan ahead leads some of them to make mistakes that lead to their apprehension. This is the case of Adam Strong, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Murder Me Monday podcast. I'm Cameron and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Elephant in the room. It's fucking hot. It's England. We ain't designed for this. Nope. Our houses are hypothermically insulated. Means they keep the heat in and it's going to be 39 degrees by the time this episode comes out and I might be dead. I might just have expired. I'm going to climb in the oven and cut out the middleman. Can't be asked. It's currently topless, which is slightly and disconcerting. See, if we stream this live on Twitch at the time, I would just have my nipples out. <laughs> There's a rule where you can't be topless unless it makes sense. So you have to be by a swimming pool, essentially. Or in a heat wave. Or it's the England and it's 40 degrees. Yes. That's that's sufficient. You don't, you don't even need to answer this. You don't even say anything. Obviously, I can see and no one else can. In the synopsis that you've given me here, it says, Adam Strong was aged 46. Yes. That says was, which... Which, no, you've got that wrong. I meant at the time of the okay. offence. You didn't need to say anything. That's kind of why I said it. I'm like, don't, you don't, it's not a spoiler so much. It's just, it says was 46. I'm like, does that mean he's no longer alive? That's, that I wasn't would sure. be the normal assumption. And I agree. I've misphrased yeah. that when I, know, I gave I, it. I, I just wondered. Anyway, um, for the purpose of the podcast, we don't even have a fan on. It's looking at me now. It's taunting me. And it's hot. There's two people in a room with a computer and no fan on. I'm going to die. I'm going to be on the next episode. <laughs> All right, okay, go. <laughs> well, if it comes to disposal of bodies, I need to make an apology for the previous episode about Derek Bird and neglecting to say thank you to the listener who suggested it. By the way, your cats are gorgeous. Yes, Cameron, I will show you who it is on Instagram because I know you love people that have cats. We also need to give thanks to our latest Patreon, Christanda. Thank you. And it's nice to know how long airmail takes to get to the USA. Seven days. So if you would like stickers also or advanced content and at the highest tier exclusive content, then do think about subscribing. Now, the more that I researched this week's case, I was struck by similarities to a famous UK case. Hopefully you'll agree with me and Cameron may even know this one, but don't say anything until the end, Cameron. Deal? Right. People go missing all the time. Relatives and friends are left wondering and hoping that their loved ones have just decided to start a new life somewhere else and will be in touch with them eventually. Sometimes that happens, but for two young women, there was no happy reunion. This week, we are off to Oshawa on the Lake Ontario coastline, about 37 miles east of Ontario, with a population of about 160,000. Canada, obviously. Candice Fitzpatrick was born on the 3rd of February 1989 and lived in Oshawa. By the age of 19, she struggled with drug addiction and related issues and would up and leave for weeks or months at a time. She was last seen in March of 2008. Her family loved her, but they just couldn't seem to help her. But by 2010, her family knew that this was more than her just going off grid for a while or taking a road trip and reported her missing along with launching various appeals for information in the neighbouring cities. They would have a very long wait for news. Rory Haig was also a troubled teen who struggled with drug addiction after being introduced to meth in her first month of high school 
and she turned into a wild child with all that that entails. According to the news reports, by the age of 18, things were starting to look up for Rory. She had a boyfriend in an apartment and had even returned to education when she found out she was pregnant in the summer of 2017. She was delighted and absolutely planned on keeping the baby. And maybe this would be the impetus to carry on improving her life. Rory and her mother were close and spoke daily. But on the 10th of August, an unexplained fire at her mother's house destroyed it, killing the family dog and left her mother with severe injuries. And yet, reading various court papers, the situation may have been very different. There is no mention of a boyfriend in any of these court papers, and yet apparently, according to the news reports, he did exist. The pregnancy test that she had done was with an aunt that she met up in August, but Rory refused to tell her aunt the results of the test. She was also still using drugs, including crystal meth, fentanyl, heroin and marijuana. So briefly on the topic of fentanyl, it's an opiate that's usually cut with heroin to make it stronger. Most people don't take fentanyl. It's usually added to it to make it stronger and more effective. The people that take the heroin want it because it gives them a stronger, more intense high, but it, the amount per like picogram to kill you is far, far higher. And that's why part of the thing about the police, as soon as they touch it, they die. It's kind of fake. It's, it's to demonize the drug even more, which does make sense because it's a drug that's killing people, but it's more propaganda that the police are on this front line saving people from getting rid of heroin. It's only if they start huffing it, basically. I know fentanyl patches are used for um, you know, terminal cancer patients, so I'm, I'm unsure where what usage powdered fentanyl would have, but it's not something I looked into. Why would I? It, well, it, um, I've got enough weird searches yeah, on my laptop as it is. You get put on some kind of weird list. I think Vice did a documentary on it where they had drug dealers that were selling it laced with fentanyl and they were like, well, they know what they're getting. If they die, that's their choice. Well, she was, she was, unfortunately, she was addicted to all sorts of things. There's also reporting that she told her mother that she was pregnant and she planned on keeping the baby and she was excited about it. And her mother told her to do a second test. There's mention of the boyfriend, but her mother had never met him. Yet Rory is said to have lived with him. Her life was obviously very chaotic, but people really did try and help her. Rory spent a lot of time at a place called The Refuge, which was a drop-in centre for youths at risk. They also held her money in what's described as a trust fund, and she would get a payout every two weeks. It was technically welfare payments, but a trust fund sounds better, doesn't it? Do you think it was put in place as well to stop her from getting large sums of money in one go to buy more drugs i don't know how i never even thought about looking how welfare payments are paid out in canada but it was definitely welfare and it was given to every two weeks i mean it used to be monthly in the uk and that well sorry it used to be weekly in the uk and now they've made it monthly to try and make people budget better and cope for when they go into full-time working but i don't know i feel like if you give poor people larger sums of money in one go that they're not used to they're going to spend it on stuff they want not necessarily what they need because they need a break mm. from something if you give a smaller sums of money every couple of weeks they can then sort of chip away at stuff i don't know i could be completely wrong that's what leaps out to me there used to be in the uk when you were in receipt of benefits and your landlord would be paid direct by the state or the local authority that pays that makes for sense rent. but they stopped that why to make tenants more responsible and of course what happens People spend it on stuff they want, not know what they need. And the rent doesn't get paid and people get evicted. Which I feel like is part of the plan. I don't know. It's just... It... I, I feel that's kind of part of the plan is put people in debt so they have more money. I don't know. I, I know what you're saying. Right. So Rory did have an apartment 
but she refused to stay there, according to what she told a local police officer that she knew. He had seen her, he was driving down, you know, a road and saw her on a, a lamp post or a lamp column sort of spinning around like a little kid would do. He knew her from various interactions and he knew when he saw her and from her behaviour that she was on something. So he's just stopped to check on her. Um, he actually got commended by the judge later on in the case because of his behaviour because he went back to the station, got in contact with other people there, then plugged it into various housing um, help and he got her a referral to be able to move and he went looking for her on the 29th of August on the streets and he couldn't find her anywhere. So he, he started to get worried about yeah, her. Yeah, of, of, of course he'd get commended for that. That's going above and beyond. He didn't need to do that. If he didn't do that, everyone would have thought that would have been completely fine, but he went out of his way to do that. That's like such a compassionate thing to do. Yeah, that's what you would hope people would do for somebody that yeah. needed help. And Especially a police officer that has that, that leap ahead of everyone else already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not uncommon for either working girls or prevalent drug users in the community to be close with the police. Yeah, for, exactly. They, and, they do, and they do form relationships and friendships, don't they? Yeah, exactly. They try and keep an eye on them. To... Well, you say that, and then a lot of the times they just know them and they, they arrest them because they need numbers. Or they take advantage of them. <laughs> yeah, they take advantage, or they then start selling them drugs. Mm, yeah. yeah, it does happen. But yeah, the, this apartment that she had, apparently it wasn't very nice. She didn't like um, the people that were living around her. She thought the place was disgusting. But this boyfriend, it was all kept very quiet where she lived because... Everybody thinks that the boyfriend was actually still living there and he was trying to make a go of his life. We don't know anything about him. So a slightly strange occurrence happened on the 30th of August. She met a friend and that friend took Rory home with her. Rory told the friend's mother she needed to be taken to hospital as she felt funny, which they did. She tells the triage nurse that her face was distorted Video from security cameras at the hospital shows this attendance started at approximately 8.27pm. When you say her face was distorted, you mean Rory's face was distorted? Yeah, Rory felt her face was... Like face looked distorted. She felt it was distorted, which to me, I don't know about you, but to me that immediately says she's, she's either on something or she's coming off something. Yeah, so, so the perception of her own face yes. is what she thinks has changed. Okay. Yeah. That... Nurse took notes, obviously, and they felt that Rory was acting bizarre, but she was just looking for a prescription, which feeds into what we've just said. Rory was triaged as less urgent, you know, junkie coming off a high probably was what they actually thought, but couldn't put that. And Rory left the hospital before being seen by a doctor at 11 minutes past nine. That was the last time she was seen alive. Rory's extended family were very well known in the biker scene, so they all rallied together and started putting up thousands of missing posters all over the town and surrounding areas, much like Candice's family had done years earlier. The Oshawa Harbour is located where the Oshawa Creek empties into Lake Ontario. The mouth of the harbour is framed by a pier on each side. The West Side Pier is a public pier, regularly frequented by people going out for walks or just fishing. On the 11th of September 2017, a number of individuals were fishing on the pier. It was quite late at night, but they noticed something bobbing about in the water. It looked like a turkey or chicken carcass from some sort, 
One of the fishermen snagged the item and brought it in close to shore, where a net was used to pull it up onto the pier. Once it was out of the water, it became evident it was a female human torso. The torso was split at the centre line of the ribcage. There were no internal organs. Police were called and the torso was taken for forensic examination. Now that was mild. There is going to be a lot of gruesomeness further in. Weeks later, DNA testing proved all Rory's family's fears to be correct. It was her remains that had been found in the harbour. Despite an extensive police investigation, they were unable to identify a suspect in Rory's disappearance or death. On the 29th of December 2017, plumbers were called to the residence at 19 Macmillan Drive in Oshawa. The house was split into two apartments and the upstairs tenants noticed that the drains were not functioning properly. Basically, there was a smell and every time they flushed anything or put anything down, it bubbled back up and it, it just wasn't clearing. So they contacted the landlord and the landlord said, get plumbers in, it's fine. You know more about plumbing than I, Cameron. But my understanding is because the stuff was coming back up to the top floor, the pl- the blockage would have been... Would have been below. Would have yeah. been below. So they, if the blockage was there, then the, the the flat or the apartment below them wouldn't have been affected because the way that it, the way that the waste pipes were formed. Yeah. So the plumbers went to in, this... in like a flat or an apartment. There's like essentially one big tube inside the the whole thing, and everything funnels down into that. Mm. So depending on where the blockage is, is where it's affected. So if there's a block right at the top, no one no one else is affected. If it's a block right at the bottom, then it's most affected. And what's really funny is if there's a block right at the bottom, and all those pressures built up, when you unblock that, it's fucking. <laughs> I've, I've had stories of like fully grown men so the plumbers the fat they unplug it and the force that comes up knocks them over because they, they just get slapped by like kilos of shit and they get knocked over by it yeah so from that description what what actually happened then makes complete sense because it wasn't although the blockage bothered the upstairs tenants they went to the basement which it was like a two-story house it was, they call it a basement but it, it it was a strange strange setup this house And they go down there and they find that the tenant has actually taken the toilet out. The toilet's literally been unscrewed and moved to one side. And he says, I've been, the tenant says, I've been trying to unblock it. I got a snake. You. Yeah, yeah. They're like cables that are articulable. You can you yeah. stuff them in there and you can like wiggle them about and you can use them to pinch and grab stuff. Yeah. So he says, I've been trying to use that to get it unblocked, but I can't. And they said, all right, let's have a, have a go at this. And they started... That in itself is a indicator because most people wouldn't go to that effort. That usually means you've got something down that you don't want people to find. Mm-hmm. So the plumbers start, you know, doing plumbing stuff and they start pulling out black and grey covered gunk. And he's, this tenant is hovering over their shoulders and going, ew, what's that? Ooh, ooh, that doesn't look good. And they basically said, can you buzz off? We can't, there's two of them doing it. We can't get this cleared with you stood behind us. There's a meme about if you're a tradesman and you're working in someone's house, how much stuff costs. If you leave them alone, it costs less. If you yeah. hover around them, it costs more. Fuck off. Well, they, they poor buggers spent four to five hours trying to unclog this drain. They began pulling up strips of what appeared to be, when they rinsed it off because it was black at first, pink flesh with hair on it, about 13 or 14 inches long, these strips. The estimated weight of whatever the heck it was when they eventually got it all out was 10 to 15 pounds. 
whatever it was, it shouldn't have been in a drain. They took pictures and they sent it to their boss because they couldn't tell whether it was animal or human. And the boss said, uh, hell no, come out and have a look. So he goes out and have a look and he, right, call the police. The police arrive. They see a carrier bag full of this blockage materials that they'd moved from the drains. And they talk to the upstairs tenant. And then they go and talk to the guy who lived in the basement to ask if he knew anything about what the heck it was in the drain. That downstairs tenant was Adam Strong. At the time, he was 45 years old, into BDSM and a scuba enthusiast. OK, you've got me. The gig's up. It's a body. If you want to recover the rest of her, it's in my freezer. That's a direct quote. Why do you mention the fact it's into BDSM? Oh, it's relevant. But just because you're into that doesn't mean you're into killing people. No, it's... The, the, that, that's, that was, that's a non sequitur. It was his whole personality. That freezer was in his bedroom of all places. So he's immediately arrested, put in a patrol car, and they start searching his property. They found something. People in neighbouring homes were asked to leave for their own protection. Members of an explosive disposal unit assessed a suspicious package. It was a homemade pipe bomb. Explosive robot was brought in and a loud bang was heard. And shortly after 5.30, residents were allowed to return to their homes and forensic investigators were given access to the apartment. Once the search of the residence resumed, the police were able to examine the contents of that chest freezer that was in his bedroom. They found the following. You're ready for this. A black bin bag containing a dead raccoon. A black bin bag with two human arms and two femurs. The arms are defleshed up to the wrists. The hands on each arm are intact with nail polish visible on the fingernails. The femurs are entirely defleshed. Another black bin bag with two lower legs and feet. The lower leg bones are defleshed. The feet are intact from the ankle line downwards. Nail polish is visible on the toenails. Another black bin bag containing an entirely defleshed pelvis. And finally, a black bin bag containing a head with a visible tattoo of the word alive behind one ear. They never found any internal organs. They also found clothing and shoes that could not have possibly been Adam's, nor were they linked to previous girlfriends. They also found a bent hammer. Literally, the head was bent on it. A lot of bondage gear, sex toys by the box full, and a very large hunting knife, which becomes important later. Most of these items had blood on them. Now, the bondage gear, I didn't actually list it all because, quite frankly, I didn't understand what 90% of it actually was. But I think I bought the, the um, term spreader bar. Now, I know what a spreader bar is in construction. I didn't need to know what it is in BDSM. But they did find DNA on the spreader bar. They found DNA on uh, handcuffs that were in there. The police started interviewing Adam at 1.17am, the first interview being about three hours. He made no real admissions and genuinely declined to talk about anything relating to Rory's death. He did, however, openly talk about a wide range of other topics, including his interests and his hobbies, former girlfriends, his social network and activities, previous forms of employment and religion. 
Adam told the police that he doesn't associate with drug addicts as they are untrustworthy and would steal the fillings out of your teeth. He denied using any sex workers too. Yet strangely enough, he appears to have lied. There are records of him having a girlfriend who was an injector of drugs, of his many interactions with sex workers. His Facebook was still live for a long time after his arrest and the pictures he posted were said to be rather disconcerting. You can see copies of some of them online but not all of them. His computer etc were checked and he frequented some rather shall we say non-mainstream sites to do with S&M and gore of all things. So testing linked to the blood and the DNA found at Adam's place back to Rory and Candice Fitzpatrick but no remains of Candice were found at Adam's home nor in his boat which was actually in the backyard or anywhere else that they could link him into. He's interviewed again on the 8th of November. That lasted approximately 12 hours. The transcript of the interview was 640 pages. They don't get a confession, but they do get some admissions. He admits knowing Rory and admits knowing that she was involved in the sex trade. He claims that he once took her to dinner at a place called St Vincent's Kitchen. No, not as a couple or boyfriend and girlfriend. This guy's in his 40s. He's not an attractive specimen. The only way she would have been with him was either she needed food or he was paying for her time, shall we say. He admits that Rory ended up at his apartment sometime between August the 30th and September the 11th, 2017. And she died at some point in that period. They'd obviously done tests on the remains that they found. And when he was confronted with the DNA evidence from vaginal and rectal swabs, Adam forcibly denies anal sex, but does not deny vaginal sex. Although he offers some possible explanations for why his semen might have ended up on Rory's body. And he said that there was not much of Rory's vaginal cavity left. He also denied post-mortem sex with Rory. So we're talking necrophilia here. It's possible, though. If you go to jail, prison, whatever, and you killed someone, you dismembered them. Okay. If you go to prison, you killed someone, you dismembered them, and then you fucked them, you get put in a certain kind of list, don't you, within the prisons. Oh. And he knows he's going to prison. You get put in a certain kind of category with that, the paedophiles and the... Like the sexual assaulters, and yeah, no, you, he's, he's got you deny that as much. I did the murder, don't dig, don't dig anymore. I did the murder, I didn't, that's all I did, that's all I did. Don't dig. He's got a lot more to worry about than just what he did. I'll tell you later, but he admits that he chopped her up, although he explains he was rather indifferent to the dismemberment, saying it was just a corpse at that point. Can I ask why he, I don't know why I'm asking you, you won't know. Why did he cut the car up into like 50, he says 15 inch strips that were then flushed? I would like dice it like an onion so you could flush it. I wouldn't leave them in big clumps. You, you know the rules. You don't pour anything like grease or fat down the sink because it clogs it. It solidifies and then doesn't go down. You don't put down big chunks of stuff that are like gelatinous or, or like gloopy because it gets stuck. It, it creates like a blob. Why would you flush whole clumps of people down? And you, and you would, and okay, if you're going to be that picky, why don't you fucking cook them first or something? Can I answer the why don't you cook them? Why? The smell. This, are, are you telling me if you don't put some cayenne and paprika on that, it won't smell like 
or le- not- was it lemon or lime? It, yeah, or something. Like there are ways around it. I know. I know that we're then discussing the the weirdness of how we just d- dispose a body. But you would. There are better ways of doing it. If I killed someone, you'd search. How did these other people that did something similar get caught? Don't do that. Well, he was very much into serial killers, but he's a bit thick. Well, he's, he's no, he's not thick. He's just he just didn't learn from what he researched because a lot of that twelve hours again was spent discussing serial killers with one of the detectives. It was whether you know if it's two or three, and whether it applied in Canada or whether it applied in the rest of the world. And I can tell you why he studied the, the strips. He said because what he was actually doing, he was cutting bits off and trying to flush them. And obviously he didn't cut them small enough and he's getting more and more annoyed as it's starting to block back. And he's trying to ram bits of her down the toilet as yeah, he's flushing that's her. Just, okay, pretend it's not part of a body. It's something something completely innocuous. You wouldn't do that anyway. It's just going to get stuck. I, exactly. I completely agree. But his later explanations for it kind of... I don't agree with it in any way, shape or form, but it kind of explains his mental process. But anyway, he describes how he uses a paring knife and something called a serrated Jinsu 2000 for the purpose of cutting her up. He admits he flushed her organ down the toilet some four months before they arrested him. So they went down better. And then he froze the remaining part. When he was cutting up her organs, he used her torso as a cutting board. He described Rory's liver as massive and stated, I'd never seen one that big before. That phrase stuck with me. Why would he have seen another human liver? If you're into serial killers and stuff, he might have been... You might have seen other documentaries on it or various medical stuff you don't know. Mm. He described how he held her entire reproductive system in his hand. When the detective asks Adam, well, actually, he doesn't ask him, he tells Adam that Rory was pregnant because that's what they've been told. Adam rather bluntly stated that she was not. And then he goes on to describe how he cut up her reproductive system and only noted a small cyst on one ovary and no other signs of pregnancy. There's not a lot you can say to that. He admits that he was shocked when the torso was found floating in the Lake Ontario. He suggested that the torso should not have floated as it didn't have organs in it. He explained how if he had had access to his boat, it was, as I say, basically in dry dock, he would have dumped the torso in 600 feet of water. It had never been discovered. I think he's onto a hide into nothing but that anyway. He admits that he defrosted Rory's body parts on Christmas Eve by placing them in his bathtub, which was filled with hot water. He did it on a number of occasions. He completed the defleshing in one evening and then refroze the defleshed parts. He was in the process of disposing of stripped flesh and skin when his drains clogged. He explained it. He was foiled by inadequate plumbing. I've got no idea what he thought he was going to do with the bones. When asked why he waited almost four months to complete the disposal of her body, Adam said it was not exactly something that one would look forward to. He explains the reason why Rory's remains were still in his house was procrastination, which he described as a lifelong problem. When the detective tells Adam about the blood spatter found in his bedroom, Adam is adamant there's a phrase you don't say very often, that there should have been a lot more blood. 
He explains that there were visible blood that the forensic officers missed. He says, he then talks about the forensic officers and he says, I want you to know that they did a shit job. You should give someone a spanking. Adam explains he attempted to clean off the blood at the head of the bed, but there was more that was not wiped off. He also explains that he later observed some dried blood that he scraped off. And when asked about Rory's bloodstained shoes, which were found in a plastic bag in his bedroom, he explained that the presence of shoes is another procrastination issue. They then ask him about Candice. He admits knowing her and that she was involved in the sex trade. He refuses to admit if she was ever in his apartment. He admits knowing that the hunting knife that was found in his own kitchen drawer had her DNA on it. He also explains that he'd forgotten about the knife and that procrastination was to blame for the fact that it remained in his kitchen despite a passage of almost 10 years. He did tell the detective that the police were lucky to have found the knife. That just tells me that the dirty bastard never washed things up properly. Ten years and it still had a DNA on it. And that was, and when they took it apart, you know, they take the handles off and, and you know, test inside. They found way more inside. They even said that they found what looked like a lump of tissue stuck to the knife that he never cleaned off and the DNA came back to Candice. Well, you always get them on knives, don't you? You get like the crust, like the, like the weird like rusted bit almost where the handle bit meets the blade. Yeah, but 10 years. Yeah, no, t- I mean, I would have, uh, me personally, I would have changed the knife. Well, why didn't he get rid of it? Nobody, he, again, he, when, they, when they asked him, why didn't you get rid of it? What did you say? Procrastination? The, yeah. I'm, uh, or a weird trophy thing. Mine, mine would be spoons that I'd steal. Yeah. His, uh, he clearly wanted to keep the knife, but I wouldn't want to use that knife after I know I just chopped up a body with it. It was a hunting knife. It was a, it was a huge hunting knife. It was one of those big curved yeah, ones. And, that, and I know the kind of thing you mean, like yeah. a, the claymore type blade thing. Yeah. yeah. So Adam suggested to them that if he was ever released from prison, because he obviously knows he's going to prison, he would be a dead man. As the, there was apparently a bounty on his life. That's due to the Hells Angels bikers, which we'll go into a bit later. He explains that all he wants is comfortable living for whatever many years I have left. He also states he's not looking for a get-out-of-jail-free card or $100,000 like Picton. Now, you won't know the reference to that, Cameron. Willie Picton was a Canadian pig farmer. And he I, I've, actually, it's not one that I've read for many years, but he killed dozens and dozens and dozens of women. And he wanted $100,000 to tell the police who they were where they were and all the rest of it but he also wanted access to a tv and internet didn't want much did he so in exchange for the comfortable living in jail adam stated he would spill everything he'd been told by legal advisors to hold back some cards in order to secure a deal later but he says if i let those cards out i don't have them to play later you can understand me i'm sure and if i got what i want i'd spill i'd i'll spill it he then goes on to explain his complete lack of remorse because they asked him, they said, you know, you don't seem bothered by this at all. Him being so apathetic and like, oh, I just want comfortable living, etc. That winds me up. Mm. He's, he's killed a young woman, Two. 18, 19 year old woman who was would been pregnant. He sort of denied it. He's killed another woman. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know I did it. I'm fine with whatever my sentences yeah. are. That's somehow more frustrating than someone that just 
tries to deny it almost. I don't, I don't know why or how. Well, he blamed his complete lack of remorse. It's, it's very strange when you actually look for information about this. So, it's, sorry, sorry, no, but it seems like he doesn't care, and that's what's yes. more. That's what's more annoying for me because yeah. you've you've destroyed multiple lives and families by doing this, and then he's like, ah, fuck it, I don't care, bro. Whatever, just give me, just give me a, a Netflix subscription so yeah. I can watch Stranger Things, and I'm fine. Fuck you. Funny you just mentioned a Netflix subscription because that's my my theory on something that happens later. It was it was a, a joke that I well, not a joke. It was a, a quip that I put in. Then you've just mentioned it, but he blames all of this on his bad childhood. He said he had a really really bad childhood, man, but it's never expanded on. And his complete lack of remorse. You would think he was a sociopath, maybe. But it doesn't appear that his defence, because it was a public defender, because he didn't have a pot, because his job was um, he worked in a petrol station, like an overnight cashier, which again would have given him... Access to people that might be more vulnerable. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly it. I mean, in the beginning, he tried to say, no, 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 I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of person, I'm a carer. And I'm thinking, what kind of carer would that be? There's no way that you could work in any kind of caring capacity, although we do see these people. But what his bad childhood was, we don't know. And again, I don't know if this is something his lawyers dropped, hmm. just didn't. There's no evidence of it. Yeah. Hearsay. Yeah. There were 37 court hearings, you know, all the usual backwards and forwards with questions about this like they often do. Everything is being questioned by his lawyers. They tried and tried to get everything thrown out, but it was they were unsuccessful. On a number of uh, court appearances, he was rude to the relatives. He laughed and made jokes in court and came across really as a completely callous, which goes back to what you say. There was never any mention of any kind of mental health assessment. So eventually his trial took place before a single judge on the 28th of September, 2020. His lawyers basically said that whilst he did dismember Rory, they couldn't prove that he killed her. And yes, he had Candace's blood and DNA in his apartment. But again, they couldn't prove he killed her as they had no body. He refused to take the stand and called no witnesses. Again, his poor childhood's never expanded on further in that court case. How can we live in a world where a justice system can sentence someone for having like a spliff to years in prison? Or or like someone who smoked a spliff walked past your car and the police officer says there's weed in there and you get nicked, sentenced to prison. That happens. Yeah. Uh, you've got the body, all right, that's, that's in the sink. You've got like the reproductive organs, that's in the fridge next to the cheese. Like, and then it's a bit, we don't know you killed them. Motherfucker, you've got the knife, you've got the outline of the dead body in your house, you've got her jewellery in your drawer, the equivalent of it. How can you say, oh, you didn't do it? Okay, if I run someone over and I've got their, like, hair and shit on the front of my car, oh, yeah, but you don't, they're not there now, they're not on my car, so therefore you don't know I hit them. <laughs> that's Fuck the you. equivalent. No, that's not how it works, cunts. There's, there's, you did it. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly the equivalent of what he tried to argue, or his lawyers argued on his behalf, because he refused to plead guilty. He's saying, yes, you've got evidence of this, but you don't have evidence of that. So he was hoping for something much smaller than he ended up. But yeah. So on the 16th of March, 2021, the judgment is handed down. He's found guilty of the first degree murder of Rory. Not guilty of the first degree murder of Candice, but guilty of her manslaughter. They've got no body. They know there's evidence in there. 
but they've got no witnesses to that and they don't they don't know how she died they know she's dead well they don't know she's dead but it's a logical conclusion sentencing was due to take place in the april but due to covid it caused all sorts of delays and eventually takes place in may of 2021 the prosecutor asked for a term of 18 years on the manslaughter charge related to candice which he acknowledged was beyond the typical range of sentencing for that offence in Canada. The defence proposed a sentence of eight to ten years on the manslaughter charge. It was a range more in keeping with precedent set in previous cases. He was also upset with the prosecution's assertion that the prospect of rehabilitation for Adam was vanishingly small, and that was reason enough not to give him just eight to ten years and this defense lawyer turned around and said nobody is beyond redemption mr strong has some good qualities he has demonstrated them in the past and in my sub- submission he can display them again well he gets paid to say that doesn't he like what what good qualities exactly exactly well he can take a toilet off the floor I... that's the only redeeming thing i found so far well the judge told Adam... He's got a fridge, which for me right now would be quite handy because I'm fucking dying in this room. But apart from that, he has no good qualities. No. No. He's, he's got nothing redeeming about him. And the, the judge said to Adam, you are a dangerous predator. You decided to feed your dangerous desires and in doing so, you took two vulnerable lives. The sentence I impose will likely ensure you will never get out of prison. I have no doubt the parole board will be struck by the brutal and predatory nature of your crimes. He then handed down the mandatory life sentence of life in prison with no possibility of parole for the first degree murder charge and a term of 18 years, which was again said it was the high end for the manslaughter charge. The manslaughter charge, however, will be served concurrent to the life term, which annoys the hell out of me. But that's another argument. That mandatory life sentence is defined as 25 years, unfortunately, and it's not what it says on the tin. Adam is eligible to apply for parole in December of 2042 if he lives that long. As you said before, Cameron, he's going to go into prison. He'll probably have to likely be segregated. But he murdered the granddaughter of a respected former member of Satan's Choice and the Hell's Angels. And her cousin, who she was very close to, was the member of the bikers that organised the leafleting when she first vanished. I don't fancy his chances. He's definitely got a number over his head. But we are not quite finished. In July, just after sentencing, he starts talking to a member of staff at the prison. Now, this is odd. I don't know... Who that member of staff was, I don't know if it was, a, uh, you know, a, a warder. I don't know if it was a mental health professional or he just can't keep his mouth shut. But whatever he said, it was enough for this member of staff to contact the police and tell them what Adam had said. They owe him no loyalty or... No, why, why would they? They're just essentially teachers that are looking after the kids. Yeah, they're not, you know, it's not his lawyer. So the police go and interview Adam again. And they saw him a few times. And on the 4th of November, 2021, so less than six months after sentencing, he takes the police to a spot in Oshawa, 
described as a green space. And if you look at the pictures of it, there are houses, um, a small green strip of land, what looks like a fairly decent track road, not just a, a mud track. It was a, a track, though. Another deep stretch of green grass and then some trees beyond it. It's not anywhere that anybody would have it. You could see maybe dog walkers wandering along it. Maybe possibly the authorities cutting the grass on it if it got too long once in a while, but it's not an area people would spend any time in. And they uncovered human remains there four days later. So the recovery of the remains was completed on November the 13th, and it was confirmed in February of 2022 to be the remains of Candice Fitzpatrick, who'd been missing for 14 years. Authorities did confirm when asked that there were no financial compensation or added privileges for Adam whilst in custody. There was some negotiation, none of which was entertained by the police. He was probably angling for a Netflix subscription, which is quite funny. You thought the same thing earlier. Come on, bro. Season five, Stranger Things just come out. Yeah. Is it five or four? Four, I believe. I've not seen the first one. I think I'm I on series two. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. So Adam was asked during the initial interrogations if there was anyone else that they should be looking for. You know, have you done this before? Where, you know, and he said no. But some rather eminent criminology professors have actually stated on record that murderers like this don't start out of nowhere and don't do nothing for 10 years. And then just like that, there was a, I knew there was a reason I didn't finish writing this earlier. On the 12th of July, so not very long ago, Police came out and said that suspicious items were found at the Oshawa home where convicted murderer Adam Strong had lived. The police seized the items after they were found by a contractor working on the Millen Drive home. Constable George Tudos of the Durham Police said the items had been sent to the Centre for Forensic Science in Toronto for analysis. This will take several months before police know what they have. Right now, they are not connected to any old cases. So the police are not disclosing what the items are even beyond saying they were found on the premises. And I'm not buying it. I know they dug up the garden, but if they'd done what the police in Gloucester in the UK did with the house that Fred and Rosemary West lived in, maybe we wouldn't be here these all these years later. The police basically dismantled that whole of that house that Fred and Rose. West lived in they dismantled it brick by brick and I'm betting the contractors found something either behind the walls or under floors which weren't removed by the police initial investigation that's what I was going to say they pulled up a carpet or a floorboard and moved an oven a fridge something and they found a thing yeah they probably found like a fucking leg that rolled under the fridge do you know what I mean someone someone else's leg but if you're wondering why the heck that would have happened it probably wasn't easy for the police because the upstairs neighbours at the time that in that place that they rented as well but the upstairs flat had been empty for months before those neighbours moved in just before this all happened plus Adam lived in that basement for 15 years Is when you say basement and you said that the layout of the house is odd is it like the houses in London where they've you've got a ground floor that you can see but then there's like there's a gap between the road and then the bottom floor of the house so there's like another window, but it's below the level of the it's road. It's sort of like Do you know that. What I mean, but they're three stories, but the yeah, it's it's kind of like that. It's it's, it's described as a two story, but it's a basement apartment. But when you look yeah. at the house, it, it it'll looks have like... stairs to go down from the road into like the yeah. ground floor. So the top floor is actually the level with yeah. yeah. 
Weird so if, he, if, if he's laid, if he's lived there for fifteen years, so that top ap- top apartment, as they called it, was empty for I think for about six months, and that's just the one time. God knows what they found in the roof. Yeah, not to not to play with the like the trope of people that live in basements and stuff, but he's a little fucking gremlin troll thing, isn't he? Oh, he's vile. hoarding limbs and corpses. Yeah, I mean, th- those neighbours moved out, obviously, and they st- they they moved out the day that this all ca- all happened. They'd only been there a matter of weeks, and they struggled. How do you think that affects your deposits and stuff? Well, I know that I know that's, that's an irrelevant question, but it it would matter. You'd be like, well, I don't want to live there now. Circumstances have changed. Well, I did wonder that. I mean, I felt very very sorry for the owner of the property because the landlady apparently was a you know perfectly nice person, did all the right things. But these neighbours, they couldn't get insurance to pay out. And I think they ended up having to get a GoFundMe to be able to afford to rent somewhere else because they were probably still legally tied in to that landlord. Yeah. And the, I, I can't blame the landlord, but on the other end... It's, uh, it, it, it's no one's fault, but then it's not also yeah. anyone's fault who has to rent the house afterwards thinking oh, there, was, there were bodies in this. I yeah. don't want that. It's bad juju. Yeah, no insurance would pay out and help them. So... Uh, this is going to be one to keep an eye on, obviously, because I'm I'm sure that there's going to be more that comes out in time to come on that one. So go back to the beginning, Cameron. I said that this case reminded me of a very famous British case, and there's been a, a big documentary done about it fairly recently. Oh, there was a breeze. Oh, do you feel that? There's a breeze coming through the window. <laughs> Are you trying to distract me? No, I'm not. It's just I felt that. And uh, carry on. There's a famous British case. Yeah. Dennis uh, Nielsen. No idea. David Tennant, Doctor Who, he played Dennis Nielsen. Dennis Nielsen was um, a bit like a, a UK version of Jeffrey Dahmer in some ways. But again, he moved around, I think it was two flats, same landlord. Um, and he was okay in the first one when he was disposing of bodies. That did go down the drains. But the second property, he was up on the top floor and he managed to block the drains. And he got caught for exactly the same thing. When they went to clear yeah. the drains, they found the body parts. Especially in the UK with how old our country is and how old our drain systems are. There'll be cast iron, probably asbestos stuff that you're dealing with. That ain't built for people to go down. They're not wide enough no, either. No, no, no way. Yeah, so that was, that's the end of this week's case. If uh, I know I know, I keep harp- harping on about the disposal of this body, but to me it doesn't make any sense. You've got away with the actual murder. No, one, no one's seen you do it, okay? So now the disposal part is the next quest you have to get rid of, right? Why wouldn't you snap up the bones as small as you can and just dispose of them like normal. It's going to be innocuous. There's going to be random little bits in, the, in a normal bin. Why aren't you chopping up the, the skin and the meat in really small ways and then chucking that down the toilet? Or, fuck it, wherever you live, there's probably rats. They'll probably eat them. Why wouldn't... I don't, I don't get it. I don't get the stupidity behind these people. I went down a mental, oh dear, I shouldn't have going that exact same thought processes it can't just be us i know we're weird sweaty people in a room at the moment talking about true crime but it can't just be us but i go back to my opener they don't think beyond the initial kill they never think what they're he's had had about 10 years to go through this yeah well he managed to get rid of candace that nobody would have found her so why he didn't and the thing was he didn't have a car Okay, he got around by bike or he would be uh, on buses, public transport. Mm. I believe there are pictures out there of him being caught wearing full scuba gear on a bus when he's so, you know, this guy's not normal. You couldn't exactly 
sling a leg around the cross handlebars of your bike and just ride off to dump it. I mean, in, in his defence, if you're the nutter on public transport, no one sits near you. So True, true. But he's... There is something... Yeah, there are going to find more bodies. I suspect he will... I think he's going to be one of these ones who likes to talk. There was... So his Facebook was de- deactivated. We don't know who did that, but it was after a while when he was in prison. And I've read a number of accounts or a lot of people who actually read his Facebook. There was a woman on there, I believe, who said he drugged her and sexually assaulted her quite violently a number of years before. There were a couple of Facebook friends who tried to defend him initially and then just defriended him. He doesn't seem to have had anybody around him he's there are comments as well from people who knew him from the area like as you said he he worked in a petrol station so he would have access to people at night that probably more more vulnerable and he would stand alongside them and say uh, so I think there was one woman waiting at a bus stop for something and he said oh you know you've got heavy bags do you want to come back to my house and I'll help you get them home but then he twisted it sexually enough to make her so uncomfortable that she basically avoided him for the rest of the time that she yeah, knew him but he just give, he just gave off creepy fecker vibes all over the shop and if you I, I know people have gone and googled his picture you've got the picture of him stood there with this it's not a bat lift but it's a big old it's like the Joanna Dennehy picture which people will know what I'm talking about where she's got bloody great big knife in her hand and he just looks sweaty and there's no way anybody wants anything to do with this creep unless they're really desperate. He's horrible. He's a really nasty, slimy piece of shit. And these two young girls, they are, I am absolutely convinced, just the tip of the iceberg with him. He looks a little bit like the 90 Day Fiancé Ed guy. There'll be some people listening to this that know what I'm talking about. He looks a little bit like him in one of these pictures. He's got no neck. He's revolting. He's revolting. So that's the end of this week's episode. And finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Candice Fitzpatrick, aged 19. Rory Hake, aged 18. That's in the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Murder Me and Monday Podcast and email us at murderminmondaypodcast.gmail.com. If you want to share support, the Patreon's in the link below. And I don't know why, I've had a few people from the podcast add me on Instagram because of that picture, I think, where I'm at Comic Con. Add me on Instagram if you're on. It's Cam Can't Focus. I thought I'd plug myself there, see what happens. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. Much love. Peace. Bye. Fuck it up.